I want to say it too. Happy Mother's Day journey. Um, but I do also want to say that uh, over time, I've learned that this day, uh, Mother's Day, that there's a big spectrum in terms of how women experience this day. For some people, it is an incredible day of joy, but for some, it is an incredible day of sadness. There are different ways that people come to this day. Here's what I've learned, is that sometimes there are women that actually choose not to come to church on Mother's Day. When I heard that, it broke my heart, but it also opened my eyes. And here's what I think we need to understand, Journey. If we're gonna be the kind of family that God wants us to be, we've gotta learn how to rejoice in the things that we need to rejoice in, but we also need to learn to mourn the things that we need to mourn together. So the question I was always asking myself was, how do we honor the experience of all women on Mother's Day? In light of that, rather than just saying kind of a blanket, Happy Mother's Day, I wanna address some specific situations. To those of you who gave birth this last year to your very first child, we wanna say that we rejoice and we celebrate with you and we are praying that you get an ounce of sleep sometime within this next year. But if you've lost a child, we want to mourn and suffer with you. We want to do everything we can to join with you in your grief and your loss. For those of you as moms, right now you're battling it out in the trenches with little ones. And you wear the badge of honor, the badge of food stains on your clothes and spit up on your shoulder. We just wanna say that we salute your badge of honor. For those of you that have experienced loss in this last year, through miscarriage, failed adoptions, maybe kids that have run away from home, we wanna say that we want to put our arms around you and we want to mourn with you. For those of you that have walked the very, very difficult road of infertility, fraught with all the pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we want you to know that we walk that path with you. And I wanna ask this, would you please forgive us when we say things that are just dumb. We don't want to make it harder than it is for you. For those of you that right now, you're walking the path of motherhood alone because of maybe either death or divorce or decisions that other people made that have affected your life. We want you to know that we want to be help on that path. We want to be hope on that path. We want to extend a hand to you on that path and walk it out with you. For those of you that chose to keep your baby and make the very hard decision to give that baby up for adoption, we applaud, we applaud your courage to choose life for another person. We say thank you and we know that they say thank you as well. For those of you that are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, who are raising people to spiritual maturity who aren't your kids. I want you to know that you are the heroes of our church. We need you and we need more people like you. May your tribe increase. For those of you that have warm and close relationships with your kids, that is awesome. We are so happy and we celebrate with you. But for those of you that your relationship with your children 
is fraught with disappointment, heartache, and distance, we want you to know that we sit with you in those challenges. And we want to pray with you for the redemption and the reconciliation of those relationships. For those of you that lost a mom this year, we grieve with you. For those of you that have experienced pain and abuse at the hands of your mother, we acknowledge your experience and we wanna join with you in asking God's healing over those deep wounds in your life. For those of you that have lived through all the tests, the driving tests, the ACTs, the medical tests, and your kids are gone, but you're turning around and you're helping younger mothers figure out how to do that, thank you. Thank you not only for finishing the race well, but thank you for helping others along the way and running hard with them. For those of you that are gonna have emptier nests at the end of this year, we grieve with you and maybe rejoice just a little bit. Am I right? For those of you that are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. We're so excited to get to meet the next member of the Journey Church family. And I want you to let you know, base camp's ready for them down there. We are ready for you. On Mother's Day, we want to honor all women. We know that the path of motherhood is different for everyone, but on this Mother's Day, we honor all women. Happy, happy Mother's Day. We're continuing now in our series, Unlikely Leader, The Life of Moses. Last week, we talked about this iconic moment that Moses had in this burning bush experience where God made a call on his life. Today, we're gonna continue in that very same narrative, but we're gonna answer the question, what is Moses gonna do in light of God's call on his life? This was the call on his life from last week. Exodus chapter three, starting in verse nine. It says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. This is God speaking. And he says, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. And then he says to Moses, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Moses hears the voice of God, but he's got a decision to make. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Moses, immediately when he hears the burning bush, if you remember last week, he throws his hand in the air and says, here I am. But as we step into the text today, we realize that Moses says, here I am, but I've got some questions, God, I would like to ask along the way. And I just wanna throw this out there. There's probably no character in the Bible that I identify with more than Moses. And when I talk about identifying with him, I'm not talking about the awesome leadership parts of Moses. I'm talking about the frailty of Moses. But this is what I love about scripture. Just think about this. Moses wrote this. What we're reading about him and his frailty, Moses wrote that. If this was just a made up book, if people were just making this up, wouldn't you think that if you were writing a story about yourself, you'd, you'd kind of airbrush yourself a little bit, make yourself look a little bit better than you really are, a little bit more of a person of faith, this is what lends authenticity to me about the scriptures, is that when God paints a picture of even the heroes 
of the faith. He paints them warts and all. We get to see everything. And we get to see that with Moses. There's this amazing call on his life, but immediately we see someone who's reluctant. He's resistant, even reticent. He's saying, God, yes, but I have some questions. Unlikely leader Moses, unlikely leader just like us, we often have these very same questions. Here's the five questions that Moses throws out to God. And the first question is simply, who am I? Verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. They're standing before Sinai. Wasn't a very complicated calling, was it? Moses, I will send you. You will bring my people out. Here's what God says. In his plan, he's not saying, Moses, you have to do it all on your own. He's simply asking, Moses, would you hold your life up to me? Would you hold your life up and allow yourself to be a tool in my hand? You need to understand, Moses, I'm going to be with you. But Moses is looking not at God. He's not listening necessarily to even what God is saying. His eyes aren't fixed on God. His eyes are fixed on himself. And so immediately ask the question, who am I? Because Moses knows, just like we know, he's an unlikely leader. I mean, would you have chosen Moses? Of all the people out there, he is a sun-withered, 80-year-old shepherd that's been wandering around for 40 years in the desert. I mean, by this point, he's probably completely lost touch with the people in Israel. He's just trying to scrape out a living, working for his father-in-law, living with his father-in-law, taking care of sheep. Is he the one? Is he the one that you would choose to face down one of the most mighty leaders on the face of the earth? Probably not. We probably wouldn't pick him. And Moses is looking at himself and saying, he wouldn't pick himself either. Don't you feel like that sometimes? When God asks you to do something, whether it's little or whether it's small, who am I? Who am I to do that? But I love God's answer to Moses' question. Moses says, who am I? And what does God answer? He says, I will be with you. Now just think about it for a second. That's really not even an answer to the question. Moses wants to know who he is and God only says, I will be with you. Is that an answer? Is he dodging the question? Friends, that is the answer. It is the only answer. What Moses needs is he needs to understand that his identity is linked to God's identity. And it's as he comes to the place where he realizes that who I am is completely tied to who God is, that's gonna give him what it takes to lead in God's kingdom. God's identity is my identity. God knows this. He knows that Moses doesn't need a pep talk. It's not like, Moses, think about all the things that are awesome about you. God doesn't say that. He just says, I'm gonna be with you. 
Moses isn't looking for greater self-esteem. That's not what he needs. He needs a greater sense that God is with me. He and he alone is with me. But Moses has other questions. The second question, who should I tell them sent me? First question is, who am I? But he also kind of wants to be able to share with people, God, who are you? Who do I tell them is sending me? Here's what God says. He says, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? That, then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. So this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is his eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now we could unpack just that little chunk of scripture for a week. There's so much in there, but here's what I want you to grab today. God is saying, I am. I am is with you. The Hebrew of that word, the letters that spell out the most sacred and holy name of God, Yahweh. He said, remind them, Yahweh is with them. The holy, intimate term for God. The most holy and intimate term in all of the Hebrew vocabulary. He says, remind them. That's who's gonna be with them because they've got to remember the power and presence of God in the midst of the challenging things that you're gonna face and they're gonna face with you. Tell them, I am. Couple questions he's already asked. Who am I? God, who are you? But then he starts to ask, start to think about all the people. What about them? Even if I know who I am, who you are, what about everyone else? What about what they think? Question number three, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? Exodus 4.1, Moses protested again. What if, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if, what if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? What if, what if, what if? Those are the two words that worriers in this world, the worry warts of this world, the people like me, those are words that we eat for breakfast. What if? What if this happens? What if they do so and so? What if they think this and such? What if? And when we allow our minds to be focused on, grabbed a hold of by this question of what if, all these possible scenarios, it gets us stuck. It gets us stuck in moving ahead and what God has for us. What if? What if this happens? A couple weeks ago, went into John Oakland's office. He's our executive pastor. And there was this thing that I was really anxious about. And I went in and I described to him this scenario, this situation. And I said, I'm gonna need a lot of help to live this out, to walk this out. All these domino effects. And as he listened to me, after a while, he was kind of like looking at me a little bit puzzled, and he asked me this simple question, Bob, do you really think that's gonna happen? <laughs> well, maybe. 
And if it does, we gotta be, all these different scenarios. And he looked back at me and he just said, Bob, that's not going to happen. And the way he said it, I'm kind of reading between the lines there, but I felt like he was saying, and please, if you're gonna come sit in my office, could we talk about real crises and not things that you are imagining in your head? Just, just a side note, we don't pay John Oakland enough to both be our executive pastor and my therapist most weeks, but he has to function in both of those roles. What if? What if? It's the what ifs in life that can keep us from moving, and that's what's happening to Moses right here. That's what he's doing. He's got the what ifs going on in his mind. He is so worried about what might happen that he's not able to even comprehend and begin to live out what God has told him is actually going to happen and would happen. It's just these imaginary scenarios that keeps him stuck and keeps him from following God. Fear to follow God. But he has more questions. His question pistol is not empty yet. Question number four says this. What if I don't have the skills? What if I don't have the skills, the resume, to be able to do what it is that you're asking me to do, God? And for Moses, it was simply, I can't talk. I can't talk to people. Verse 10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord said to Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. Do you ever feel like that? When you sense that nudge from God that he's calling you to do something? My resume is not complete. I can't speak, God. There's such an identification that I have with Moses specifically around this. I was that kid growing up that for a week before I had to give a five-minute book report, I would hardly sleep. I would spend those days trying to stand in front of my fireplace, talking to my mom, sharing the book, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't even share it to my mom, and I would freak out when I would have to get in front of the class. One time in high school, I had to give a student council speech, and because I would get so terrified to be in front of people, my body would just start to involuntarily respond, and this is what would always happen, is my leg would start to shake. It would start out just a little bit. But as I started to panic a little bit more, my legs started to shake more and more. And so I'm standing here, I'm giving a student council speech in front of the whole school, not a huge school, but a couple hundred people, and my leg is sitting there shaking. So I'm thinking, people are starting to chuckle a little bit. And so I'm thinking, I've gotta do something about this. So here was my strategy, not necessarily a good strategy, but this was my strategy. I'm gonna lean on my leg so that it won't be able to bounce. And then all of a sudden, I just started shaking bouncing up and down. As I started to look out, like nobody was listening to anything that I was saying. They were just bent over laughing. And I told myself, I am never getting up in front of people again, (laughs) ever. Yeah, you see the irony of that. We need to put ourselves in God's hands. The things that he asks us to do, he will equip us to do. 
to this day, I don't have this feeling like, I've got this. Every time before I stand up to speak, I've prayed, God, would you take that away? I'm scared to death. I don't wanna stand up in front of people. But this is what I've appreciated about it, is it's always brought me to a place of great dependence. And I don't think I ever wanna get to that place where I just think, I got this. God wants to bring us to a place of dependence so that we know that if we're gonna do something, it's him working through us. It's not about us. It's not about our resume. Moses has another question. Full of questions, Moses is. And the last one, I just feel like it's this Hail Mary pass that Moses throws. And his question is simply this. Can you send someone else? God, can you just send someone else? Exodus 4.13. But Moses again pleaded. Now he's pleading with God. Lord, please send anyone else. Anyone but me. God, just scroll through your contacts, Lord. Please, one more time. Find someone, anyone other than me to face down Pharaoh. Please send them. Question, 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 question. Do you ever feel like Moses? Man, I do. Him asking us to follow him. Him asking us to be a part of his redemptive mission. And there's all these things that if we look at ourselves, we just think, I can't do it. But Moses had to learn to take his eyes off of himself and put them onto God. That's what leaders do. Because apart from that, we will shrink back. We won't do what it is that God is asking us to do. When I was uh, 11 years old, baseball was my life. It's all that I wanted to do. I lived in this little town outside of Billings and my parents did everything they could to get me to Billings so I could play a level of competitive baseball in there. It was what my life was about. At the end of my season, when I was 11 years old, I got selected to be a part of an all-star team. And there was great players on this team. Actually, down the road, a couple of those players went on to be drafted and get to play in the minor leagues, at least for a season of their life. Baseball was my life. And as this all-star season started, we started to dominate in most of our games. But then we got to this one game, and this was the game right before the state championship. And we were down going into the bottom of the last inning. We had our last at bats, and we got a little bit of a rally going, and we got the bases loaded, no outs. And we were coming around to the top of the lineup. One, two, three. I batted third. Watching as this game unfolds, number one batter, gets out. And then as I sat there, I can do the math. I can figure it out. If the guy in front of me gets out, that means I step up to the plate, bases loaded with the season, going home, resting on me. As I began to think about that, just even the possibility of that, I just began to be so fearful. I was this kid that was always so afraid to fail, always so afraid to disappoint people. The kid in front of me, out. I'm standing there in the on-deck circle, numb, just panicking inside. I took my bat, and I walked back to my coach, and I handed it to him, and I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. 
put his hands on my shoulder and he said, Bob, you can do it. You can do it. And I said, I can't. And I gave him the bat, walked down, sat on the end of the bench in the dugout, just put my head in my hands and just sat there in this storm of fear and insecurity and shame. Coach called Lance King. He said, Lance, you're up. Lance trotted by me. I could barely pay attention to anything that was happening out there on the field. But ultimately, I did hear a crack of the bat. Lance King hit a grand slam home run. Won the game. Pandemonium. I just I, I remember looking up and like all the kids just running. We're grabbing a hold of the front of the dugout and shaking the chain link fence. Everyone was so excited. I wasn't excited. I was living in this storm of guilt and shame and fear. Here's why I share this story. At this age, at 49 years old, I, I've got lots of regrets in life. But if you gave me one do-over in life, this would be it. As a 49-year-old man, I'd give anything to get to go back in that on-deck circle with that little 11-year-old boy, put my hands on his shoulders and just say, Take your swings, Bobby. Take your swings. You don't know this now, but decades later, you're gonna be thinking about how you wished that you had got up there and took your swings. I would tell him, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. You know, decades later, that even if you strike out on three pitches, you're gonna wish one day that you could come back here and take your swings. This is what I believe is true of Moses as well. Just how I wanna go back and talk to that little boy. Moses, if he could, he would wanna come back and he would wanna put his hands on the shoulders of a 49-year-old pastor that is standing in the on-deck circle of things in life and ministry that scare him to death. And Moses would say, take your swings. Bobby, take your swings. And the reason that Moses would say that to me would say that to you, to any of us that are in the on-deck circle facing something that is challenging them is because he knows what it's like to have the God of the universe put his hands on his shoulder and say, Moses, take your swings. Moses, take your swings. I wonder sometimes where Lance King is and how he tells the story. The story that might have been one of his greatest days growing up was my day of greatest shame. I wish I could go back and take my swings. We've got to hear that message from the life of Moses, to trust God, to hear his voice, and whatever it is that he asks us to do, take your swings. Last week, we talked about these kairos moments at the very beginning of the life and ministry of Jesus. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near or at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And when he says the time is near, that word that he uses there is kairos. It means opportunity, not chronological time, not chronos. He's talking about kairos, opportunity. Take your opportunities. Take your swings. Bring God's kingdom to this earth. I want to try to connect some dots, if I can, between this story of Moses and the burning bush and how I believe God wants to speak to us the same way today. And Paul helps us make that connection in Ephesians chapter five, connects some of those dots. Here's what he says, Ephesians chapter five, 
starting in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. What do you think that word is there, opportunity? It's kairos. That's it. Paul's saying, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be a fool. Understand what the Lord's will is. Listen to God. Hear what his will is. Listen to him. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. How does God speak to us today? Not so much burning bushes. I've never had a burning bush. I don't know of anyone other than Moses who ever had a burning bush that talked with him. But God wants to speak to us. And here's what we know about the Holy Spirit and the connection to fire. When the Holy Spirit came at the beginning of the book of Acts, when this movement, this redemptive movement called the church was launched, the scriptures tell us that it fell with fire. Fire fell on people. And the Jewish audience that was there, they were understanding. They knew what that imagery would mean. This is the holy presence of God coming to live within the life of every believer Every follower of Jesus. So if you hear this message of Moses and just say, you know, I don't get burning bushes every day. We do get the Holy Spirit nudging us, prompting us, personal in our life that we get to hear and respond to. You know these senses, these feelings. When you're reading the word and suddenly something jumps off the page at you, it's that Holy Spirit who wrote this book, nudging you, prompting you. Hear this. You need to hear this. You need to obey. The Holy Spirit that helps us see circumstances in our life and see his hand at work in that. The Holy Spirit nudging us, prompting us. We see people around us that are followers of Jesus, that have that same Holy Spirit in them, that are speaking words of truth to us and around us that God uses to nudge us and to prompt us. Those listening times of prayer, when we sit before God and we actually just ask him some questions and listen for his responses and we write them down and let the Holy Spirit nudge us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, gives us nudges and promptings. Don't go in that direction. Move away from that. The Holy Spirit speaking to us, his holy presence in us. Kairos, Kairos, those opportunities. The quantity of your life, the length of your life, it's measured in chronos, it's measured in years. But the impact of your life, the quality of your life, it's measured in Kairos. Hear his voice and respond. Take your swings. Here's what I think is one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is there's lots of people that have a jersey. They're on the team. I'm a Jesus guy. I've got my Jesus jersey. But their jersey looks like this. It's just beautiful and pristine. Why? Because they're just sitting in the stands. They're not participants. They're just spectators to what it is that God is doing. But God invited Moses, God invites us to be participants in this kingdom mission. And here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to show you. If you choose, if you choose to get involved with what it is that God is doing in the world, if you choose to take your swings the way that Moses did, 
the way that God is calling us to do, you are gonna end up with a dirty, bloody jersey. Dirty, bloody jersey. And you will fail. You will experience times of failure. Your feelings are gonna get hurt. I think about the greatest pain that has probably been caused in my life has come at the hands of other followers of Jesus. Your feelings are gonna get, you're gonna be misunderstood. You're gonna have opportunities to make great sacrifices of your time and your money, and you may not be appreciated the way that you want to, but you're gonna have a dirty jersey. But here's what you're also gonna have. You're gonna have the opportunity to experience God using you. When you look at the life of Moses, it was not easy. From this day on, it wasn't like it was smooth sailing. Things didn't go just up and to the right for him, but he experienced the hand of God in his life. He found life. And friends, that's what happens when we get our jersey dirty. When whatever it is that God asks us to do, we step up to the plate and we take our swings. What's next for you? What's your next step? We, we can read about the call of Moses, but you've got to ask the question, God, what's your call on my life? What is the next thing that you want me to do to follow you, to live out your mission in the world? Ask him. Ask him what it is. Ask him to reveal that Kairos moment to you. And when you hear it from him, whether it's little or it's big, don't ask questions. Follow him in obedience. I want to ask you to set your things aside and I want to just give you a little bit of time to begin to ask yourself, God, what is my next step? What is the next thing that you're asking me to do in order to follow you and to bring your kingdom here to this earth? Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak. We hold up our life to you. We surrender to you. We ask you to speak. What's next for us? God, I know that there are as many next steps as there are people in this room. Everyone is unique. Your voice to each of us is unique and different. Lord, would you give us ears to hear? And would you give us courage to follow through? to take our swings, whatever it is, God, that you're asking us to do, give us your courage that comes not because of who we are, but because of who you are and because we know that you're with us. God, give us our next steps. The answer is yes. We will say yes. Jesus, it's in your powerful and risen name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.